quotes from the staff where we talk about our point of view and we share the things we're gonna do and we hope you're learning something new because the path to mastering theory begins with you welcome to notes from the staff a podcast from the creators of you theory where we dive into conversations about music theory ear training, and music technology with members of the U-Theory staff and thought leaders from the world of music education. Hi, I'm Greg Risto, founder of U-Theory and associate professor of conducting at the Oberlin Conservatory. And I'm Leah Sheldon, head of teacher engagement for U-Theory. Uh, with us today to talk about choral sight singing is music educator extraordinaire Denise Eaton. For nearly 30 years, Denise taught high school choirs, including building one of the top choral programs in the country, at Spring High School, north of Houston, Texas. I learned of Denise when I started teaching at Lone Star College Montgomery, a nearby community college, where I got to work with many of her former students, all of whom were solfege masters. Her approach to teaching complete musicians is remarkable, and it's one she's shared with the world in her Smart, Insight, and Steps series of sight singing books. She's also taught choral methods on the faculty of Sam Houston State University, served as president of the Texas Music Educators Association, and is choral editor for Carl Fisher Music. Denise, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm honored to be with you all. Um, it's a very, very nice introduction. I think we could sum it up in just a few words. I just simply love the act of teaching. Uh, I love the grind of teaching, which is uh, something I think a lot of people don't. But uh, part of that is successful sight reading can really build strong musicians. So I'm very passionate about that. But thank you for having me today. Yeah. So I, I think what we all really want to know is, can you teach us how to build an ensemble of singers who read well? I think it's possible. I, but sight singing and reading and rhythm readiness are all skills. And skills are only developed if they are practiced daily and with intentional, uh, systematic approach to them. Um, I think people that wait to the last minute uh, have choirs that sight read like they've waited to the last minute. I think the beginning of learning is incredibly, it is glacially slow, and the same is with skills. Uh, pianists did not just start off playing scales in time, and sight singing is a skill. So yes, it can be done, but it must be really well thought out. I don't think there's one book. I don't think there's one method. I think it's, it's knowing what works with your students. So what does that look like in a rehearsal for you? So let's say I'm a singer, I walk into the rehearsal, and then what happens? Well, in my rehearsals, gosh, and I was thinking about it, it's been uh, 11 years since I was in the head choir director, but I certainly am in rehearsals all the time. In fact, I just left a rehearsal this morning. I always had objectives on the board. I, uh, I'm a big lesson planner. I used to not be, but from frustration and winging it, it led to very uh, precise lesson plans. And I learned that when I was not the only person in the room that knew what was expected of them, rehearsals were much more productive. So objectives are on the board, and I used to call them the order of events, not just objectives. This is what we're doing today. I think there's something psychological about seeing number one through 17 on the board, like, oh my gosh, we've got a lot to get done. Um, 
Each activity is not something that you want to just check off the list. We warmed up, check. We did fundamentals, check. The whole idea to me is that a, a, a rehearsal, and I hate the word organic, maybe it's not organic. It, it, everything is crescendoing throughout the rehearsal. Everything from the beginning of the rehearsal has a function as it takes you towards your repertoire. Um, I don't call, uh, I don't call warm up, warm up. I call it vocal technique. Um, I think that's one of the most important parts of the rehearsal, even if it's not very long, but to get kids engaged with their mind, their body, their vocal mechanism. And that then as you go on to say sight reading or singing the repertoire, you're still reinforcing what you did during the vocal technique. I think warm up is an overused term. It is used in academics, usually for the teacher to check role. In math, there's a warm up activity, and it's just something to get the kids from talking. Or, and I think that too many teachers uh, te- treat warm up like it's that. Uh, same with sight reading. They go through um, drills. Um, perhaps they're, they're teaching a, a third drill. And the kids sound fabulous on it, and they can do it ascending, descending, in thirds, whatever. Uh, but the problem is if you give them that same drill written out in a key, they can't sing it. So I agree with sound before sight. I agree with rhythm sound before sight. I agree with teaching everything sound before sight. But sight is the next level of proficiency. Could you give us an example of maybe like take the classic like do mi re fa mi so that you know people just rattle off? That's it. How, That's would you, the one. how would you go from that to to the page? I would write it out in whatever key that they were going. Let's say it's my treble choir and we're singing in the key of E. E is not a common key to them. F, G, and C are the most common to. I'm, I'm thinking of middle school middle school trebles. F, G, and C. They see that the most. Middle school boys. Oh gosh, that's just that's just a uh, you know what that is. Uh, but high school, they get to high school and they feel good about F, G, and C, and then you give them something like E or B flat, and they're just you know you write that out in the key of E, and they're befuddled. So I like to do things like um, do mi line line re fa space space mi so line line fa la space space. So for the key of E because it's a visual orientation into what that key looks like. And they haven't seen that before. They've seen G on the line, but it's on the second line. Um, I, I just, I, I think they need to see it. And I used to, I'll, I'll write out solfege uh, letters on the board to introduce like a warm up. I would always teach it on solfege before I'd go to the vowel sequence but then a lot of times I would write those patterns out just on a sheet of paper. It'd be warm-ups, but they would have to sight read the patterns first. Anything to integrate it into what we were going to do. So sound before sight, but then sight. And then the sight has to be talked about. They have to make the visual connection that do, me, and so live here. So high do and low so live here. And it has to always be driven home. One of the things that I've noticed about your books that I think is is really wonderful and interesting, like if you take the Smart series, uh-huh. uh, each chapter is in its own key, and then within each chapter, 
things progress from easier to more difficult. And you, you've kind of already been talking a little about the philosophy behind this, but it's very different from, look, for instance, a lot of the sightseeing texts that I've taught with at the college level uh -huh. are arranged from beginning to end, easiest to hardest, and the keys are, are put in, I don't want to say willy-nilly, but they're, you know, it almost seems like the goal is to have lots of keys throughout the book. Can you talk a bit about, uh, maybe a bit more about the philosophy of of the the sight element of, of separating keys like that? Well, for one thing, I, I think that because of the, like the books you're referring to, a lot of people feel compelled to start with a book and go in order. Well, what if you don't need to sight read in the key of F sharp major? Of course, that can, that can also work for F major. I used to always say, cover up the key signature. What key could it be in? Uh, you can you can certainly make uh, your sight reading materials non-dispensable. You can be very creative with them. But the keys that are in the smart book and the steps book and in sight singing are the keys that you're, you can most likely integrate using your repertoire. Um, but the, the idea behind them is to see a scale and a tonic triad in the key and to sing through some fundamentals, fundamental exercises. Again, it's a visualization uh, in order to acclimate what you're going to see in the music. Um, I learned from a masterful teacher, Norris Blevins. I was his assistant for 12 years, and he was a guru of sight reading. And he used to say, if they can identify steps and thirds, know what to call them and know what they sound like, they can sing any interval. Because what's a fourth? It's a third and a step. What's a fifth? It's two thirds. So the fundamental drills all came about, and I'm not kidding you. When I first went to Spring High School, uh, uh, well, actually, it was before then. I'm going to back up. I was teaching non varsity treble, mainly freshmen. I threw at them a, a, a knocked lead. It's Beethoven. I think it's in. It's I know it's in B flat. I think it's a cappella. Very sight singable. SSA they were really struggling. And again, these were fresh, mainly freshmen. So I stopped and said, can you tell me why you're struggling? And of course, an alto, it's always an alto, isn't it? I'm an alto, raised her hand and said, every time I get to so, which is F in the key of B flat, I want to call it do. I said, you know what, put that up. So I went home and I wrote out intervals from the tonic triad in B flat. And that's what's, that's the fundamental in the steps book is intervals from the notes of the tonic triad. Well, the fundamentals from the smart book are steps and thirds with varying degrees of rhythm, rhythm uh, difficulty between level one and level two, because it's another visual, um, for lack of a better term, drill and kill for what you're going to see. But you know, the more you're aware of every time I come to this, this is dough, this is me, this is so you don't have any slaws. I used to have slaws all the time. That was a cross between so and law. What do you call that slaw? I, you know, I used to say, are we going to have barbecue? It was a joke, but everyone knew what I was talking about. I'm like, how can you call that slaw? Because we've just been singing all these lines. So it takes time. Every key is a new language for young singers. And by young, that's through senior in high school and some college. I'll just be real honest with you. It just looks different. The intervals don't change, but where they live do. So 
you know, I have an interest in, in historical soulfish pedagogy. And um, when I first saw your smart series, which I think were the first of, of your books that came out, uh -huh. um, I remember thinking uh, back to the old French solfège de solfège system that was used at the Paris Conservatory for many years, uh, which, like many uh, sight singing books from the late 1800s, early 1900s, works key by key. So you start with just C major, and then you get uh, F major, and then you get some D minor, right? It's just, it just gradually brings them in. Um, I think it's really was really insightful of you to, uh, to bring back that kind of structure, which is, I haven't seen much elsewhere. Well, I really did it from a practical standpoint. So like I'm going to teach a, a, a piece in the key of A flat. Well, we're going to start looking at that scale. We're going to look at those uh, fundamental drills. Um, some of the some of the fundamental drill. I can play all kinds of games with those fundamental drills. I can teach audiation through the fundamental drills. We can play ping pong. We can we can do all kinds of things and have fun while we're learning and visualizing. And so I kind of did it self servingly because, like I say. Uh, when I went to spring, I was teaching the Palestrina Alma Redemptoris Mater. It was an E flat. I had very weak, young, uh, SATB choir. So, um, I would hear every morning the band kids outside of my room practicing off their, uh, they would have to do their marching stuff and play their, their little scale patterns. And they go, da, 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 And I went, that's steps and thirds. So I was starting to write out fundamental exercises in E flat that we could sing in class before we looked at the Palestrina. And then my friend Sally Schott said, we've got to make this a book. <laughs> and then it was born. So I have sheets and sheets of all this kind of stuff that I would use for teaching before I would introduce a piece. So they're successful then. We want our students to be successful and if we're going to sing something in E-flat, well, three weeks before we start introducing it, we start sight reading in E-flat. And they start getting the feel of what that looks like, what the, um, the insight singing has uh, one, four, and five chords. They can see why the key is the key, how the, how the one, four, and five chords look for the more advanced singers. Um, yeah, you can do all kinds of things that way. See, I'm more pedagogical about sight reading, I think, as I'm talking, aren't I? Mm -hmm. Which is great. I mean, that's, I think that's what, how many of us really learned, you know, were ever taught the, the, the whys and hows of teaching sight singing? Very few. Well, you know, you really can't. You have to be in the classroom and go, okay, they don't know anything. Where do I start? Sometimes you use the music for sight reading. It just, it just all depends on where they are. First, you teach them by rote a lot of times and then get them to start reading. Um, but they have to make the connection from pitch to pitch in the interval. And that's, that's what sight reading is. So you've just talked about key as an example. Um, let's say I'm working on a piece with a choir and I want to help prepare the students, like you mentioned in advance by pulling out some of the basics. What else should I look at as I study the score, uh, so that I can use those in advance and how do I turn those into more focused practice? Well, you're really talking about score study, which um, is sometimes a very dirty word for people because they always say, I don't have enough time. And I always say, how can you not make the time 
because with score study, you are going to find all of your melodic patterns. You're going to find your harmonic patterns. You're going to find your rhythmic patterns. And, and that's, of course, after you determine your form. Um, many times, my sight reading is the mel melodic contour of the different patterns throughout the song. One song might really, I mean, you teach some of these sudden on varsity treble pieces, it's three melodic patterns is all it is. So instead of looking at the music and looking at all those rhythms, I write them out in what I call place markers, whole notes. Um, and, and I control the rate of speed. So we'll say two snaps per pitch and just sing from note to note after they've seen a scale and a tonic triad and use that for sight reading before we ever look at the music. And perhaps on the other side of that sheet, I would have some of the rhythm patterns or breakdowns to get them ready for the rhythm patterns. So score study to me is everything. And that's why, you know, um, I would use three and four sight reading books when I was teaching. It would just depend on the song and the needs of the class. So I have class sets of everything. That's great. So and we started getting into a bit uh, sort of the uh, philosophy behind uh, pedagogical approach to, to sight singing. Uh, in particular, you mentioned uh, if they can sing steps and thirds. And if they can find all the notes of the tonic triad, then they can basically do everything. Um, that Certainly, I, I see that in your smart books. And you started talking about your insight books as well, working largely from tonic triad. Maybe, do you want to just talk a little bit about the philosophy behind each of your books? Well, like I yes, that's fine. I'm, I'm very happy to. The smart books started off, like I say, um, as a tool, I think more than anything for teachers that they could integrate it in their teaching and build fundamental skills. Um, it's written in octaves. And, and just to clarify for listeners, when you say it's written in octaves, actually every melody in there is written in treble clef and bass clef so that, yeah. And bass clef, exactly. So that a mixed choir can use it, a tenor bass choir can use it, or a treble choir can use it. I know that the ranges don't work well. They don't work well for middle school boys. But again, that's kind of its own animal. That's a whole nother in-service, you know, as far as that goes. But the, the book is, the smart book was there for the key orientation. And uh, a lot of teachers use it where they go through each key, all of C major level one, all of C major level two, and they go through each key like that, and they don't tie it into their... Uh, uh, music. And to me, they're really missing a, a bonus round for their music. And someone said, well, you know, the minor book's too hard and um, you don't have anything in F minor. I say, read the F major melodies in F minor. The only thing you don't have is altered notes. It's still, Doe still lives on the same place, you know. Um, so that's how those came about. So the fundamentals are are really good uh, exercises that they can get better and better at at identifying. Then out of that came Smart Minor, and I'll, I'll tell you, it was self-serving for my colleagues in the state of Texas, because in Texas, when you go to a festival or contest or assessment, whatever it's called out there, the sight reading process for the varsity groups is 
major, minor, major. So you're going to have, you're going to sight read in minor and a lot of repertoire is in minor. So how do you get to minor? The minor book is hard. The visualization is hard because students, I mean, it's great for them to learn the scales and then they can put the altered notes into context. But I think to teach kids altered notes, you've got to teach them from a diatonic standpoint so that they get, they get in their, they already have in their ear something they can relate to. Um, my first day of my varsity mixed choir, and these are kids that sang Whitaker and, you know, Palestrina, we would sing, Mi fi si la is the sola ti do of the minor key. First day of class. I would make up these stupid la si la is the do ti do of the minor key. Why? Because otherwise they would see something and go, Mi fi. They would just go into orbit. You know, um, do te. <laughs> you know, so we would think, we'd sing like, so fa so sounds like do te do something diatonic that they know they can sing so to fa in their you know sleep they can wake up and sing it but they can't necessarily sing do to te because they're not pianists they don't see that interval they don't see a, a c to a b flat relationship as a as a whole step but they they know what so to fa sounds like. So again, this is kind of a sound before sight thing. And if you do that, then the, the smart sight, uh, smart minor might be a little easier for you, but I'm telling you, telling you the visualization after singing three minor scales is like, feels like you've run a marathon. I mean, I remember one night with my varsity tenor bass choir, we sang all the scales and the visual orientation and I felt like I had been sucker punched. I was exhausted getting them through that. And I was like, we don't need to read any melody. We need to do this again later. And then we'll go on to the melodies. Because everyone was, their, their brains were just churning because of that. So the smart minor, um, and something I used to do is we'd have our smart book and our smart minor out. And we'd read two melodies in the major and then one melody in the relative minor, and then go back to two melodies in the major, just to see how they were making that association. Hmm, that's great. You, you've been talking about the, the fundamental exercises that are that are in these books. Can you maybe just, just for people who haven't seen the books, like when I open a chapter, what are the first things I see in that chapter? Well, for each key center, you're going to see a scale based on the range of the melodies in that level. So let's say the key of F, you're going to see your scale uh, because level one F goes from do up to la and do, do down to fa. So the melodies in level one of the key of F major have a range of a sixth up or a fifth down. Maybe not all of them go up to high la and down to fa, but that's what you're going to see in level one. And that's, I, you know, that's, we didn't talk about that earlier when we were talking about key, but that's such a huge thing, right? That, it is. that the different keys it sort of have a different natural solfege range that, that, that F major tends to live between that low so and the high so, whereas like A flat major is going to tend to live between like a low me and a high me. Oh yeah, exactly. And that was something I was talking about to a colleague of mine um, 
that wrote uh, the sight reading for the all-state choir auditions in the key of D. And I said, well, we don't need, they're used to hearing do, mi, so, mi, do, so, do, and they're starting pitch. Well, they didn't get to hear do, 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 do. They didn't need a low so, they needed a high do. Mm-hmm. So the range of the melodies, I always think, needs to be reflected in the scale and the tonic triad. Of course, I could always tell if my kids were looking at the, the scale as well, because someone wouldn't go up high enough or someone wouldn't go up low enough. And I go, let's do it again and let's look at our music. Because most of the scales in the chapters go like up to a high ray or down to a low T, for instance. It, it just depends. Yes. Right. So what the scales are based on is the range of all the melodies in that. So the key of F uh, level one, if you look at all the melodies, you're going to find at least one that goes up to law and at least one that goes down to fa. So that's mm-hmm. why the scale is written that way. It's the same with the insight singing book as well. And the tonic triad should reflect the range of the melodies. If you don't have a low so, there's no reason to sing low so. If you have a high do, though, you need to sing high do. You know, so yes, every key is that way. So that's how it's set up. Um, And then the fundamental drills of level one for each key center are easier rhythmically than level two. Uh, Like level one, a lot of them are just stepwise motion. Level two might, uh, level one might have a third, but it'd be a quarter note third. Level two, it might have do, re, mi, do, mi, re, mi, fa, re, fa, a fast third, um, which is hard to sing in tune. A third's hard to sing in tune anyway. So that's kind of the premise behind just the smart major book. The smart minor, um, introduces, uh, It's got, I think, five or six keys, but it introduces the natural, harmonic, and melodic minor for every key that it has. Um, So they're starting to see those accidentals. And then, of course, it outlines the tonic triad. Um, But what's hard is the visual orientation. The visual orientation puts, you're going to see everything every sharp or natural and the naturals mess up kids too. They don't know what to do with them sometimes. So everything that you're going to see in those melodies in that key center, uh, section level one or level two, that's what you're going to see in the visual orientation of that. So, uh, I think that's why I think the visual orientation is so hard because it just, it's crammed with all the hard stuff that, you know, all the visual things you're going to see. So that was the premise behind that. Um, so along those lines, the, a quick, a quick uh-huh. question aside, how do you feel about students writing their solfege into their music? Well, I don't like it in their sight reading books ever, because then it's not sight reading. Then it's, it's, uh, letter reading. They're seeing the, so they see the S, so they sing a, so I think in classes, you know, it depends on the level of the degree of music and it depends on the students that are in front of you Um, with a varsity group. A lot of times uh, I would have them like third pass through. If you're still making the same mistakes, mark it. Um, I might mark a few places. Like if I'm going to pivot to a new key, I might put uh, do equals T and then write in a few solfege syllables. Um, or sometimes I just for ease of learning, I would say, you know, 
Uh, if I'm not working with your section today, write in your solfege, use your smart book page, blah, blah, blah for your scale. Um, so if you have any questions, you know, you can, you can write it in and then we might, you know, it just depends on how much time you have for each given piece and where they are in the learning process. Um, so there is, uh, gosh, we all just want these clear cut answers and there really isn't one because it depends on their skill level, your skill level as a teacher, the materials you have at hand and how fast they learn. You know, some kids can just sight read through everything and they only have to make a couple reminders to themselves. Some kids can't do that at all. They can't do anything unless they've written it in. So, you know, but, but you have to start somewhere. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong to anything. It's what's right for your kids to learn and be successful. But never in books would I allow them to write in anything. Our conversation just a bit ago brought back some memories for me, although I'm a band director in my first few years of teaching, I directed an elementary children's choir and I felt very limited by um, their range and the keys that I had to choose from because they were young learners. And I, it definitely turned into a, a, like we talked about earlier, a situation where we have a warm up and then, okay, that's done. We check that box. Now we're going to go to the real music. And thinking about this now, we've also talked about, you know, score study and pulling from skills right from the music to use instead. So how do we get from that idea of I have a warm up, I check the box? Um, how do we move beyond that? Or do we need to? Well, I think it depends on the level of the singer. Like for an elementary group, you're trying to teach, so you're teaching them to stand still. You're teaching them to stand with good posture and you're still, you know, I don't care. You're still doing high school. You're still doing those reminders, but, uh, talking about where the breath comes from, where it should be centered. Um, you're doing a lot of other things in the vocal technique slash warmup portion. Um, you're working on vowel shapes. To me, everything comes from the vowel shapes. Uh, sadly, there's not an ooh vowel in sight reading and in, in the do re mi system. There's not an ooh vowel. Um, and I wish there was because my vocal tone has two strands and they both begin with ooh. But ooh to o oh is my is my big one. Um, we can reinforce good vowels through the sight reading. So sometimes, I mean. I've watched choirs warm up and I thought it was the biggest waste of time because no one was engaged until the teacher got to the site reading. And then all of a sudden they were going, I need your best. Oh, duh. I'm going, well, why weren't you asking for that during the technique part of the warm up? You know? Um, so back to your original question, what do you do? I like to take something from the warm-up, and now I'm going to be a rebel here, not all warm-ups are at the beginning of class. You might just do something to get the voice going and then just go straight into sight reading because then you have a fabulous exercise you want to use that they can visually see. Let's say it's a song that's laden with fourths. So you, you sing exercises, you write them on the board, you write them out so they can see them on the staff, or they see what a fourth looks like. 
Um, like the Kepke, I will praise the name of God with a song, is a fourth fest. I will praise the name of God with a song. Everything is, it's, it starts off with all these fourths. So what does a fourth look like? Well, it's a space to a space with a space to a line with a space in between or a line to a space with a line in between. They need to see what that looks like as opposed to a fifth, which is two spaces or two lines. Um, you can always integrate one idea in, in the vocal technique that's going to apply to something you're going to sing. Always. Um, it could be a pattern. It could be a, it could be a vowel glide. Um, you have a lot of uh, E vowels in something and, and you're trying to avoid this bright spread E. Well, you sing something that goes ooh to E to ooh to E to ooh to E. And then all of a sudden, uh, hopefully, they're not going to go ooh, E and do re me. They're not going to do that, hopefully. Hopefully. So, and, and of course, nothing happens overnight. It's a day-to-day thing. And I, I think it's important to like, I like to keep things for at least a couple days, if not the whole week for young singers. Like say, you, you're doing this concept from this song. You don't just do it one time because as we know, in a large group of, of young learners, the first time you say something, if 30% of them got it, it's like, you know, it's time to celebrate. Hopefully by the end of the week, everybody's hooked into the concept of what we're doing and to tell them or ask them, do you know why we're doing this? Because, um, I think as educators, it's real easy, like I said earlier, to be the only person in the room that knows the game plan and the why, but they're the singers. So I think them knowing, you know, you can say, does anyone know why we're doing this warm up? Yeah, because there's that section of that song that has all those thirds and da, 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 da. Good. Good. So now let's get out that song and let's see how we can apply that. You talked earlier, you said, um, I have tons of games for, for, for teaching these things. How, how do you make all this fun, right? I mean, I, so often I think, okay, let's do our sight reading. And, and I fear the choir going, oh, do we have to do that? How, how do we make it fun? Well, when they say that, I go, let's try that again. Let's do our sight reading. And they go, yay, <laughs> because that is a mindset because they do understand. Here's the thing. They love to be successful. And when they go to festivals or assessment or contests, whatever it's called in whatever state you live in, there's always some component of reading. And a lot of all state auditions consist of reading. So it's part of the game, I like to call it, but it's also part of the, your mind going. But so, um, like I like to play things like we're, we're like we audiate. I like to audiate, of course, but you have to teach them how to audiate. So if I go back to, let's go to an easy fundamental drill in the smart book. The very first level one C major is do, re, mi, do, re, mi, fa, re, mi, fa, so, mi. So it's step, 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 third, step, 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 third. Okay, well, maybe we just sing beats one, two, and three, and I'll sing beat four. So they'll go do, re, mi, do, re, mi, fa. Re, mi, fa. So they're leaving out something. So they have to start using their inner ear to hear where it is to go to the next note. Or I'll sing measure one and they sing measure two. What is that teaching? Well, it's teaching audiation, but it's also teaching rhythmic breathing because they have to breathe on beat four. If I sing 
do, re, mi, do. They have to breathe when I sing do. And that's, that's a whole nother in-service, rhythmic breathing, onset of sound, these things that they just kind of go, just open their mouth and sing, but they have to learn, they have to breathe in time as well. So you can, and, and I like to play ping pong with them. Um, and you can do it between sections, depending on how you can split, you can count off one, two, one, two. You can count a me, me versus you, sopranos versus altos. Uh, bass, bass tenors versus soprano altos. You're limited to your own creativity as to what you can do. Um, but you, I, I like to go backwards. I love to go backwards. Um, it teaches them to think and look ahead in a different way. Um, the steps book that we, I hope to talk about has a, uh, reading, reading ahead, fun exercises Teaching, first of all, if you talk to any middle school choir director and probably a high school non-varsity choir director, the bane of their existence is getting kids to look at their music. They look at the teacher and the teacher's talking about the music and they are not looking at the music. And I used to say, I know I look really good today and I'm having a great makeup day, but would you look at your music, please? It was, it was ridiculous. And I, and I know it's gotten worse over the years because I'm in classrooms all the time. And I can do that now as a joke because the kids think I'm funny and cute because they don't see me every day. But I'll go, I mean, I know I look good today, but can you look at your music since we're talking about it? Oh my gosh. You know, so, um, yeah. So I think that getting them to, and, and I'm, and I am not above having students track put your finger on measure one and I want you to track. And when I stop, tell me which measure and which beat I'm on. See if they're even following along because when you take a sixth grader, you're probably using an Elmo or, or an overhead to, for them to look at the music before they get to music. So, um, a lot, a lot of middle school teachers are the best at that. I never taught middle school and there's a reason why. Um, but, it, they are the best at getting them from making that transition from the overhead and just all by rote to actually reading. But I'm not against it with high schoolers at all. But fun. I, I mean, there's some great books out there. Uh, Mary Jane Phillips has written some on sight reading fun games. Um, the uh, SOS sight reading book, the snap cards, uh, they have the flashcards. There's all kinds of games that are listed. Uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Go, go find out what other people have done and steal it, baby. That's the, that's the art of good teaching is being a good thief. That's great. I love, I love those read ahead exercises in the steps book where basically it's like you have these little, uh, couple of measure or even one measure cells, a bunch of them spread out across the page. Um, and related to that, the steps books also have, uh, have cards that you can get. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, well, so this the step book is is kind of like the smart book, except, of course, I, I, I was teaching when I wrote the steps book, and then I went to work for Carl Fisher, and I said, how can, how, I couldn't promote the smart book anywhere I went for Carl Fisher, because we didn't publish it. So they said, well, write one. And I went, okay, but I wanted it to be different, and I wanted it to offer something different than the smart book for people that were, like, ready for maybe an additional book. And, um, 
The fundamentals in the steps book are intervals from the notes of the tonic triad from do, me, and so. So the, so everything is tonic based. And so the step further flashcards are all, all begin on a note of the tonic triad, but of course nothing's written out. So you could literally have five kids standing there with two cards and get them in order or put them on the uh, board on a sleeve or however you visually do that, depending on the sizes of your room or an Elmo, however you do it. You can make games out of the flashcards and they're sight reading, but they're not, they just sang all those intervals from me. So maybe you pull all the cards that start on a me and you do something. And so you make it a sight reading exercise. The steps book, I'm, I was constantly asked with the smart melodies, why don't you write parts? Well, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. I don't believe in sight reading in parts until the second semester, because if, if you're, if you're elevating the, the skills of your weakest singer, and that's what unison singing does, it elevates the, the weakest singers to get better because they're hearing just that one part. It also helps teachers here. Young teachers sometimes can't tell if things are out of tune or what's wrong. I couldn't hear the tenor part for five years in an SATB choir as a young teacher. I was like, I can hear the alto because I am one. But the tenor part eluded me. So if you're singing in unison, you can hear everything. You can work on vowel unification. I mean, there's so, and you can elevate weaker singers to get better. So that was the premise behind that. So the steps book has two, four, four melodies on every page and one, three, four melody on every page. The smart book has no melodies in three, four. There are a ton of songs out there in three, four. And if I'm teaching to my curriculum, my song, it would be nice to have something in three, four to sight read with. So I could teach them to sing strong, weak, weak, strong. Because a lot of times in 3-4, young kids have a very, very, very hard time learning 3-4 to sing musically 3-4 because they end up always kicking beat three. So, so there was that. So there was three, four melodies. But each of the four, four melodies on each page can be combined. They're duets um, if they're ready for it. You know, if they can't read both melodies really well, you don't want to put them together, but if they can, you could. And one of them is a little bit more rhythmically active than the other. So there's a little bit of a challenge, more challenge in, in one of the two four fours. Um, so that was the idea behind that. And then the, the read ahead funds so that you could play some games with them because it is fun. My kids used to love to do read ahead funds. What are some of the ways that you use those, those read ahead funds? Well, you can go column down each column, which would be one, three, five, seven, you know, nine uh, odds, evens. Um, you could go num in numerical order. But the favorite game we used to play is when they get to measure two. So it's it's just two measure patterns. And in the east, uh, all of them end in either a whole note or a half note. So when they would get to measure two, whatever the long note is, and I loved it when it's a half note, because then I would call out the next number. And then they'd have to hold the first pitch of the next one. So if they're on one and I said 12, they would have to find 12 first. And then they're, they're identifying, what is it? What is it? What is it? Hold it. 
And then they would sing, then I'd say, ready, set, go. And they'd sing 12 and they'd get to the second measure and I'd go five. And then they'd hold that one. And then when they really got good, I'd say five, they would sing all of five. And we'd play games, stand up, sit down when you make a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd let someone else be the caller and it would be fun. They would just love it. And if, if they weren't very challenging, then I would photocopy it and add in some altered notes and pass it out. And we'd do some altered notes in there. You know, what the fa, what the fee. So that kind of stuff. So, uh, and the book, the book, uh, has challenge read ahead funds. Uh, you can download the common keys of F G and C and we put D and B flat in there, uh, the challenge exercise. And there's also some other, uh, teaching materials in there as well. So it's a, it's a good resource. It has a lot to offer, but along those lines, I'm going to just encourage any teacher out there that is listening. And thank you for listening to make sure that you read the preface to any textbook, uh, sight reading book that you buy. Um, I can't tell you how many classrooms I've been in and they're using my materials and they're not using them properly. It says the effective guide for the use of this book and it tells you what to do. That means there was an intention behind it. Um, if you're working with beginning singers to increase their skills, make sure you know the intention behind it. So I think that's very important. We tend to not I know this is shocking, but teachers don't always read or follow directions, but we do expect our students to. We can all get so busy, right? It's sometimes like... I know, faculty meetings, whatever, you know? (laughs) (laughs) We know we're as guilty as they are. Yeah. Um, We've talked a ton about sight reading pitch. I I wonder, rhythm, where do we even begin to, to help students learn rhythm? Uh, well, um, <laughs> I think that they need to do, they need to isolate pitch and rhythm. Uh, the very first thing I do with any sight reading melody is chant the rhythm. And then I changed a lot, uh, years before I, uh, retired, we would sing the rhythm because I found that students are very percussive when they're chanting, they'll go one and a two and T and four and then you say, now sing that. And they go, one and a two and he and four. They're not rhythmic. So um, I like to chant and I like to sing the rhythm. You know, one and two, T, four. And I like to play games with that. That's kind of boring. So you've got an eight measure melody. Every time you cross a bar line, you go up a scale degree. One and two, T, four, one, two and T, four. Or you do thirds. Do, 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 do. I, I mean, I used to play all kinds of games like that. And so for those smart kids that go, I can do this. You're like, okay, we'll try this then. I'll up the ante. You know, make it, make it challenging yet functional for them. So they don't feel like it's so baby. But it's amazing how um, just singing numbers can. And, and you have to teach them how to sing one, which is through an ooh. What one one and two and t and four with the tall vowels that you want and then to be precise. So I like to chant the rhythm first and then I m- my kids we audiated. I said it, you get to cheat. 
Hamdo, think your starting pitch. Here we go. And I just snap the, the quarter note, or if it's a dotted quarter note, three eight snaps. And I'm just keeping the beat and their hand signing and lip syncing. To me, audiation must be hand signing and lip syncing because it's like they're singing at any time. They could just break forth into song. So um, I like to do that. We've already covered the rhythm. We've audiated the solfege and then let's sing it. So very systematic in that regard. I love, I love so how a system. you just, yeah. I think, yeah. One of the things that you said is how these ways that it sounds like you're constantly listening to your ensemble and saying, this is too easy for them. This is too hard. And you're, it's not that you're changing what you're working on, but you're immediately changing the way you're working on it to match their level. Exactly. So you have to know your target audience. And um, I did a session years ago, and that title has stuck with me through the lens of the learner. Who are you teaching? And to always have a barometer in your class. You're watching that sophomore tenor that has a great throat that's in the varsity choir, but he labeled the piccolo syllables of a piece. That's how much he knows about where his part is. I mean, are you tracking with me on that? Great throat. And that's all I can say. So I'm watching him to see if he is doing, negotiating it, having success. If he's not, I've got to bump it back a little bit, but I've got to also challenge the other kids that maybe are better. And that is the, the beauty and the challenge of being a good teacher. All those learning styles and all those abilities and try to hit the mark with everybody at least once or twice a week. So music is, is so all-encompassing. Recognizing that we couldn't possibly learn, let alone teach, everything that we want to, why do you personally feel it's important to prioritize teaching reading? Well, I really... So I think about my dog, Pebbles. She's adorable. And she sits and she can speak for her treat. Do I want a choir of people that sit and speak for their treat. Did they learn 12 songs this year? Did they get a one at contest? Yeah, I want to get a one at contest, but I don't want them just to sit and bark. I want them to have a thought. I want them to have an understanding. I want them to see how it all ties in in the end when they look back on their musical career. And it might just be the pinnacle might be high school. But let's say they go on and they're singing in church choirs, community choirs, um, ensembles, barbershop quartets, whatever. I want them to understand that they learned something in this music, in this choir class that was music education, not just how to sit and bark. And so that's a philosophical thing for me. Um, I want them to have an understanding of how 16th notes work. Um, I want them to tie in math to music because uh, you can and they can and they can get better at e some of the weakest math students can be some of your best rhythm readers, but maybe no one ever explained it to them in a way that made sense. I don't know, but they can be successful and they can be a part of something that is so much bigger than themselves and the only way they can really do that is to learn along the way. And I want to learn. You know, I always, I'm, I, I learn every time I do anything. 
So that's my philosophical thing. That's how I feel. I want them to walk away having an understanding of what they did for four years in that high school choir program. So, and reading's part of that for me. (laughs) So let's see, is there anything? Yeah, it's beautifully said. Anything else you want to talk about? We have just a couple of minutes left. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. Well, we have. (laughs) Um, I, I just think if you are a teacher that is struggling with teaching sight reading, that you find a process, find a mentor, find someone that does it well, find out what they do, how they do it, have a plan. There is no winging it. That never works well for anybody. Um, That's what I used to do. And then I changed, you know, and I, I uh, really started doing more score study and that led to even better teaching of sight reading because I was seeing how it could all tie in together, but have a plan, um, have 17 ways to skin that cat, depending on the level of the choir, uh, that ensemble in front of you have a barometer um, and know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Um, some things won't work one day and they'll work another day. So I used to say, clearly I'm not getting through to you today, or you're not trying hard. I don't know which one it is, but we're going to come back to this tomorrow and I'm going to think about it. And maybe you think about it, you know, um, it's choir. It's not cancer. It's fun. It, it, it should be engaging. It should be joyful. Uh, and we can laugh and have fun when we sight read. We can, <laughs> especially when we know it's going to be tying into the song we're going to do. It's like, woohoo! we're going to knock this song out of the park and be successful. So, but get help. Uh, help is the best prayer I know. Um, and don't be an island. And if you want to email me, email me. My website will be in the notes. And there's a way to contact me and I'm a mentor to many. And, uh, I, I just don't think we need to ever feel like we're alone in this profession. There's too many fabulous people out there that can help. And they might just say that one thing that triggers you to make a little bit of a change. And that one change could make a change with your students learning. So that's about it. And I'm very honored to have been here with you today. And I appreciate you, um, including me. What a treat. Yeah, really. Just it's, it's been a delight. Uh, as we wrap up, you mentioned your website. What's your website? Where can people learn more about you? It's um, www.deniseeaton.com. Great. And the uh, publications are there. And uh, yeah, there's also a, a way to contact me. So feel free to. I'd love to hear from you if you have questions or if I can help in any way. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And if you're a fixed, if you're a fixed dough person, two of the books that we mentioned today are for fixed dough. That, yeah, that's great. Because a lot of colleges do fixed dough. Mm-hmm. So that's helpful yeah. as well. Yeah, I'm a fixed dough plus scale degrees person myself. That's what I, what I think in here in. Well, you know, I think when we're, our ears are more refined, we can move on in those areas. But uh, I think for the non-varsity tenor bass choir. Uh, I can't even imagine them saying we're in the key of fa. I, I just can't even go down that path. I just, 
or meh. Okay, we're in the key of meh, and you sound meh. So anyway, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will say, Denise, that I, I do, I use your, your smart books with my students at Oberlin in, in our one-on-one -on -one sight singing work, uh -huh. because they're so good for, you know, when you're working in fixed dough, you have to learn your tonic triad in all the keys, and it has different words in every key. And those smart books are so good because they give the students a chance to get used to what, what the, that tonic triad feels like. In you all the should keys. see the steps book in fixed dough. Mm, it's, mm -hmm. it's all the fundamentals from the tonic tr from, so you're in the key of te and you see te, do, te, te, re, te, te, me, te. Oh my gosh. I did that because my friends that teach in Hearst, uh, Euless Bedford, in Texas. It's in the Fort Worth, Dallas area. I was doing mm -hmm. a workshop for them and I said something and they said, well, we don't have to worry about that because we're fixed dough. And I went, what sight reading materials do you use? And they said, well, it's hard to find them. So we made that happen for <laughs> yeah. them. That's great. That's really great. But colleges so use it, them too. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much uh, for our listeners. Join us next time when Dr. Elizabeth West Marvin from the Eastman School of Music joins us to demystify perfect pitch. Until then, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, or show ideas at notes at utheory.com. Notes from the Staff is produced by utheory.com. Utheory is the most advanced online learning platform for music theory. With video lessons, individualized practice, and proficiency testing, U-Theory has helped more than 100,000 students around the world master the fundamentals of music theory, rhythm, and ear training. Create your own free teacher account at utheory.com slash teach.